on everybody this is samir kumar joined with matt drexler and let's just put it how it is let's just say it how it is i may have started off enthusiastically this time but it was just a depressing weekend in Nets world you know there's no other way to put it but drex i want to give you a chance to introduce yourself this time again and not me start off this podcast on a rant again i want you to get ahead and get involved in the game early I love it, man. You're giving me the first possession. Uh, but hey, I don't mind the aggressiveness. I don't mind other stars getting involved and taking taking the team on their back. I loved it. So no need for an apology. But um, as far as the Nets and the season, it was just crushing. Like that night, that Saturday night after um, the game five Durant had, the game seven even he had, what, 48 points, the most ever in a game seven. Um, I really did think this was going to be the season. I know everybody had their doubts because, you know, the condensed season, the Harden trade happening, you know, in the middle of the year and everything happened on the fly. But I just really thought that this team, if they were able to just even have two of them out there on the floor, they weren't going to be beatable. And and the way Durant was playing too, um, it just felt like if we could squeak by the Bucks. You know, we can kind of cruise and get healthy and head into the finals in that during that Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, absolutely. Health obviously was a huge detriment to the Nets in their series against the Bucks. There's no other way to put it. I think if Kyrie Irving didn't sprain his ankle in Game Four, that was a freak injury. And yeah, I feel very badly for Kyrie that that happened to him. But say in an alternate universe that never happened the Nets would have won game four and quite honestly have won game five that came after that because they had enough to beat the Bucs. Well, they did win game five. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying that like they would have won game five by default, you know, so they would have already won. I got, I get what you're saying. And then the series has been over. Exactly. You know, the Nets had enough in that first half to carry that momentum into the second half. But obviously losing Kyrie Irving is going to take the wind out of your sails. So that was just an unlucky, unfortunate break for Kyrie. And it forced James Harden to come back earlier than anticipated. Obviously, he revealed after the Game 7 loss that he was dealing with the Great 2 hamstring injury. And those are injuries that are not easy to shake off. We saw it happen to Chris Paul back in 2018 when the Rockets had a chance to go to the finals. They were up 3-2 on the Warriors. And that was a Warriors team with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And Chris Paul just didn't have enough in his legs to shake off that hamstring injuries. That's how serious hamstring injuries are. No matter how much adrenaline is pumping through you, no matter how much mentally you want to be out there, hamstrings can you know an injury to your hamstring can prevent you from getting out there on the court? So uh, I tip my uh, cap off to James Harden for doing something that, quite honestly, he shouldn't have done for the betterment of his body. And quite honestly, he didn't know anybody anything out there. He owed himself a chance to recover. But you know, I tip my cap off to Harden for giving it a go out there and doing what he did. You know, to try to help the Nets win. Yeah, and you know they say like you shouldn't play injured because fans just don't appreciate it. And you know that a year from now or even now you're seeing people talk about how Harden choked and, you know, he wasn't – he's not good in the playoffs. And I think that's 
fair for any other season this year. You know, people aren't going to take strain. They're going to say, you're out there on the floor. We can only judge you by the numbers you put up. And sure, rightfully so. If James Harden play, had this performance in game five, six, and seven at 100% health, they'd, actually, they'd absolutely be right in to criticize him and say, you know, that's unacceptable for the player of your caliber. But at the end of the day, fans don't appreciate and take into consideration players that play through injuries and are playing on one leg. And so James Harden, I think, is under kind of an, an unfair criticism at this point with people saying uh, the series he had and he, he's, he's not a winning player because at the end of the day, he's basically playing on one leg. And that is not the James Harden that the true James Harden that we all have watched throughout this regular season on the Nets. And you're not telling me that James Harden wouldn't have been able to carry his regular season success into the postseason. The Nets are just built to tailor into James Harden's strengths, which is playmaking and picking his spots when he wants to shoot or drive to the rim. You know, he's developed great synergy with guys like Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, you know, and uh, Nick Claxton. You know, he's developed that chemistry with all of them and things weren't going to change all of a sudden in the postseason. Yeah, Bruce Brown wouldn't have been in the game as much as he would have been in the regular season. Granted, he's had a couple big games in the postseason. You know, the role players do take a step back in the postseason as rotations tighten up, but Harden can still maximize every bit of involvement those guys have into the flow of the offense and create enough points to be the separator off of what Harden, Kyrie, and KD can give you out there on the floor. So it's just completely unfair to uh, characterize Harden based off of the series performance because um, let's be real. If any of us had a hamstring injury, we would have called out a gym class back in high school. We would have been like, I can't play. You know, I got a hamstring injury. I got a sprained ankle. You know, you would have uh, excused yourself from gym class or whatever activity you're partaking in at that point in time. And don't bring in the million dollar argument. You know, these guys worked hard all their lives to be out there on the court or on the playing field and they need to be healthy to their best ability in order to perform to live up to those contracts and i think the harden like the desire to play um you know it just shows how much he and the rest of the team like wanted to win this year and the fans too you know he had that same mindset that you know if we could get past the bucks um, you know, probably maybe the toughest opponent you could face in these playoffs. We'll have time to get healthy. Uh, we'll, we'll be playing on paper a lesser opponent in either the Hawks or the Sixers, which is now obviously the Hawks. Um, and so he just had that mindset, too, of let's get past the Bucks. I'll play these games and, and we can win a championship. You know, that was kind of the expectation for this team. And. I think everybody, himself included, obviously Durant, like he was asked post game, you know, the fact that you played like almost a god and just able to put the team on your back, does that temper the the hurt of the loss any bit? And he just said, absolutely not. Who cares? And that was the end of it. Like he was obviously frustrated by losing. James Harden was talking about in the presser that he's really frustrated you know you expected to win this year and I think everybody is you know and it's it's been a, a difficult season with the injuries and Kyrie going out but at the end of the day 
they 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 had that belief, and I kind of had that belief too that they were just still gonna find a way through it, and that's kind of what makes this season that loss in Game Seven so disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when the Nets first acquired James Harden, I didn't expect the Nets to win a championship this year. You know, I made it public, you know, on here and um, in some of my writing. You know, I've made it public that I think this team needs a year to gel, you know, get the right pieces, you know, shore up their defense. But then as the season progressed, you know, you start to see guys like uh, Jeff Green and Bruce Brown kind of identify uh, themselves as um, integral parts of the team and take on those identities as role players. And then they bring in Blake Griffin you know, who um, has stepped up in a lot of games throughout the uh, down the stretch for the Nets, either down the regular season or in the playoffs. So they start to get guys, they start to develop a quick chemistry and, um, you know, it started to feel like this team can make a run. But, you know, unfortunately, injuries costed them at the wrong time. And, you know, now we're sitting here thinking like, they got to get it right next season. You know, we still have three top 15 players at worst on the team. Now it's just about health uh, playing in our favor, moving forward and just about um, taking all the lessons learned from throughout the course of the season and applying it into next season and uh, beyond. Yeah. I think that's kind of like their expectation now is um, regardless, like obviously as we talked about, they think that this year, they could have won, but now they're looking at the next season as we'll have a full off season to gel training camp, 82 game season. That's not condensed. Um, and then the playoffs. So it, they're kind of thinking in that route of, you know, we'll have that continuity that everybody quest so questioned, but at the end of the day, the continuity, I don't even think mattered. Just obviously it, it helps. I'm not saying it's not a factor, but talent wins. And this team with no Kyrie in the last four and a half, three and a half games, James Harden until the last three games, and he was playing on one leg. Kevin Durant, we got to talk about his greatness by himself, because I'm not counting. Obviously, James Harden was not James Harden in this series. And with only three and a half games of Kyrie Irving, the Bucks needed seven games plus overtime to beat Kevin Durant by himself. And everybody's saying the Bucks is the best team. They were at 100%. Could you imagine if the Nets had a healthy Harden and Irving and Giannis had to play with no Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday on one leg? The Nets would win by 50 every game. So at the end of the day, the fact that Kevin Durant was able to have an all-time performance in Game 5 even a historic game in Game 7. He had 48 points, the most ever in a Game 7 in NBA history. You know, he was literally playing godly numbers, putting up godly performances. And the guy is just, I mean, he's something out of a movie, man. He's hes freaking incredible. Kevin Durant is absolutely freaking incredible. He is the best player in the world, as we both declared um, throughout the course of the playoffs. And quite honestly, 
um, for the past couple of years. You know, obviously LeBron still exists. He's still out there, but LeBron's four years older than Kevin Durant. There comes a time where um, father time takes over and shifts talent to other great players. That's just how nature works. That's just how um, the sports world works. So that's how things go. And we got to see that on full display throughout the entire course of this postseason. That's, you know, tied up 2-2, heading into game five, you know, season basically on the line he had nothing from James Harden absolutely nothing and somehow he was out there for 45 minutes you know that was not um any type of James Harden any any of us have been accustomed to obviously because he was hampered by that hamstring so what does Kevin Durant do he goes out there and puts the team on his back 49 points um and then obviously putting up a triple double on top of that you know it obviously caught the attention of uh former former NBA stars, you know, current NBA stars, you know, all over the basketball world. That's just how great Kevin Durant has been this entire postseason. He's been sensational. And it's just a shame that, um, to your point, that the Nets had to be down Kyrie and James Harden because obviously those two guys are superstar players. You know, they bring a lot to the table on a nightly basis. And, you know, their production – quite honestly, is irreplaceable. You're not going to tell me that Mike James, Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown, you know, um, Tyler Johnson, all the guard rotation out there that the Nets have is going to fill in and be able to replicate what those two guys have to bring to the table. Mike James can get you a bucket here and there, but he's not going to break defenders off the dribble like Kyrie Irving does and finish at the rim like Kyrie does, you know. So at the end of the day, it was just too much of a load for Kevin Durant to carry, you know, in game six and six and seven, especially with um, Chris Middleton, as I predicted, had a big game in game seven. He finally shook off those uh, demons on the road and delivered. And Drew Holiday, while he struggled for most of the game, came up big when he needed to because I think Giannis had the Nets defense figured out. He was finally playing with more confidence. And when you get an MVP player, playing like confidence, two-time MVP player playing like confidence, it's hard to shut them down. So it was just a case of bad luck for the Nets and great luck for the Bucks. Yeah, I think that was kind of what killed the Nets, right? I, I think Middleton played okay. I mean, he shot 9 of 26 and only had 23 points on those 26 shots. So it wasn't like anything great. I think he was okay in that in that. But it was game enough. Seven. It clearly was enough. They won the game. But I think the real thing that killed the Nets was obviously Drew Holiday was a disaster offensively in game seven. He was really bad. And then all of a sudden, in the last four minutes of the game, the script just flipped. Like the Nets were, were keying in on Middleton, and even Pat Connaughton killed them. He had, it was three for five oh from three. And, and Giannis, He's a right? Brick. Otherwise, <laughs> he's a walking brick. Try shooting with him in 2K. Pat Connaughton is a walking brick. Why did he show up in Game 7? Why? Sorry, Drex. That's okay. I told you. I told you there was going to be a game where Pat Connaughton, you know, had those back-breaking shots. Um, and even Brooke Lopez, too. 7 of 11, 3 of 4 from 3. Um, with the nice know, little logo Lopez. tap at the end of the game. I know. And, and so my point is, all these other role players – and even stars like Giannis and, and Chris Middleton, those were the guys the Nets were keying in on a defensive off on the defensive side. And they were basically letting Drew Holiday do what he did. Joe Harris was guarding Drew Holiday for the most part. Um, and then 
the last four minutes of the game, he, he hits like three or four just big clutch shots that make you just go, maybe this isn't the Nets night. You know, it's like this guy has been brutal all game. And now when it matters here down the stretch, he's just hitting big shot or big after big shot. So, I mean, I guess credit to Drew Holiday for keeping that confidence, but that was just, it was, it was kind of baffling to see how, you know, you expect that from somebody like Kevin Durant, if he's having a bad game to get that clutch gene at the end, but Drew Holiday is just, you can just kind of put your hands up as to say, what the heck, man, how did that just happen? I know, man, it's just, it just made no sense how he just caught lightning in a bottle at a time when the Nets, um, you know, were looking to put the Bucks away in game seven. It just, you know, it was a tough break that Drew Holiday got hot at the right time, you know, but Drew Holiday is capable of uh, rewriting the script in uh, pivotal moments like that. I think, um, you know, credit to him for stepping up for the Bucks when he needed to, but it just came at the at the wrong time for both of us. You know, both of us would have loved to see a different outcome for Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday down the stretch, but, you know, great players can make great plays down the stretch. I think it's time that uh, Drew Holiday kind of gets his due as um, a point guard in this league, but um, also I want to touch up on this real fast, you know, since we're talking about game seven, man, that Kevin Durant buzzer, not buzzer beater, like that game tire, you know, down the stretch, that could have been a three pointer. If his foot just wasn't so big or shoe wasn't so big, it was inches away from being a three pointer and then that's advancing. So Drex for, uh, I, I, I uh, give my uh, recollection of that moment. What was your recollection of that moment? I was, I was nervous, but also a confident nervous. Like I've seen Kevin Durant in this league over a decade now deliver big shot after big shot. You know, you have the ultimate ace in the hole, the ultimate clutch performer on your team. So in that moment, once the Bucks turned it over and the Nets had that, you know, six seconds down two, I was confident. I was feeling good. I was like, we got KD, you know, he, he steps up big time in these moments. So I, was feeling good going into that possession. And so when he hit that shot, I was obviously jumping through the roof and, and fired up about it. But I wasn't I wasn't surprised. Like, I've seen this guy do it time and time again. Um, but as far as the, being a three-pointer and a two-pointer, I, I was watching his feet and, like, on the live angle of it, like, in the moment as it happened. And I knew it was, two, it was a two-pointer, you know. I, it wasn't – I was just happy that the shot went in and we, we were able to get go to overtime. And usually a shot like that, you know, could give your team all the confidence going into OT and can just deflate the energy out of a team like the Bucks, who's on the wrong end of a shot like that. And regardless that we lost the game, that is still, like, one of the great shots um, that I've seen live. Just the turnaround, the game seven after the performance he's had – to tie it like that, you know, but it was, it was quite the, quite the, the shot. And he's, he's the man. Like that's, that's why, that's why, you know, who I am. We, that's why we know who KD is. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we know what KD is. Yeah. I was jumping up and down. I was like, let's go, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, obviously came up huge. Like I was excited, 
But I was also like, all right, like, we got to freaking win this thing now. Like, you know, I pretty much knew it was a two-pointer, you know, like, all along. Because it just didn't look like a three. You know, in real time, it just didn't look like a three. I fully expected it to be a two-pointer. So that kind of, while I was excited, you know, I was like, all right, like, we got to get a stop here. Because there's still a whole second left, you know. If you've lobbed to Giannis or Brooke Lopez at the rim, they tip it in, game over. You know, so the Nets need to get a stop there. And, um, you know, while I was um, obviously factoring all of that into my thinking in real time, I was like, this game's going into overtime, you know, in all likeliness. So I was already thinking about overtime and how the Nets can get out ahead and, you know, put this thing away. But it was slow. Like the Bruce Brown had a bucket, you know, and um, the Nets got out you know, for the first few minutes of OT, you know, but that was the only bucket for the longest time. So, you know, while the Nets had the advantage for a good portion of the overtime period, um, them not executing and them not um, feeding the ball to Durant, you know, and getting him going cost the Nets because it gave the Bucks confidence that it's just a two-point game. You know, we can come up big and we could still um, – come away with this win. And then obviously Brooke Lopez's block on Kevin Durant down the stretch, you know, just kind of feel the bucks, you know, once Brooke Lopez yeah. had that block, you started to feel the momentum shifting more towards the bucks favor at that point in time. I was like, this is going to be hard for them to come back from. I'm glad we're talking about this. Cause I wanted to talk about this overtime and you mentioned Bruce Brown, you know, that was the only Nets bucket in overtime. It wasn't the one that it, that wasn't it for the only time. That was the only two points they scored in OT. Yeah. Um, so that, so I want to. Like, that's implied though. You know, that's what I'm right. That's no. what I meant to say. Like, yeah, the so, Nets didn't score look, a basket after that. I want to bring up the, the point of all the minutes and Steve Nash, you know, he's, you know, we've, he's done a good job all year. I, I don't, I think he's definitely the right guy for the job after watching this season. Um, but at the end of the day, nobody's free of criticism. And I want to get your thoughts on if you think he mismanaged the rotations a little bit here in this game seven, because the fatigue kind of showed in overtime. And obviously he's, he's coaching that game not expecting, you know, overtime. He's coaching it to win the game within the 48 minutes. And so at the end of the day, I think the Nets were okay during those 48 minutes. Obviously, you know, they, they still had enough in the tank to make that comeback there at the very end and tie it. But it was clear. Durant was kind of out of gas in overtime. Bruce Brown played 52 minutes. Who would have thought Bruce Brown would have played 52 minutes in a game seven? James Harden played the whole game uh, on a grade two hamstring strain. And the only two guys to, to play off the bench were Shamit for seven minutes and Jeff Green for 13. So at the end of the day, do you think I love, I always love coaches that ride their horses and live and die by their best players. So I'm glad that Nash wasn't afraid to play Durant and Harden as much as he did. But do you think at least at some point in that first half, he should have found at least two minutes on the bench for Kevin Durant or even even longer for James Harden, knowing he's on a grade two hamstring strain? Should should he have given Durant and, and Harden a little bit of rest at some point earlier in that game? Well, you know, from a 
humanistic standpoint, yes. Like, you know, 53 minutes. I mean, it's not like he knew it was going to be a 53-minute game. You know, let's say 48 minutes. Playing a guy for 48 minutes out there, especially, you know, after high-minute totals in uh, the other games, you know, definitely will take its toll on the players. You know, from a humanistic standpoint, yes, absolutely. I think Steve Nash should have found a couple minutes for Kevin Durant and James Harden, you know, to kind of sit and uh, recollect themselves, you know, at current situations of the game. But I also kind of understand that this is a game seven, this is do or die, and you have to ride with your best players out there and, um, you know, treat it as like it's a winner go home game because it literally is a winner go home type of game. So um, having said all of that, I think Steve Nash should have found a little bit of time in the first half, let's say like the second quarter where, um, you know, the flow of the game is still being established. You know, I think uh, he should have um, allowed like, you know, Shamit and uh, Jeff Green, especially Jeff Green, you know, is definitely capable of uh, eating into Kevin Durant's uh, minutes, you know, in, um, at any point throughout the game. So um, when I'm looking at Jeff Green, I think Shamit could have gotten like 10 minutes, you know, spelled Harden a little bit, but I'm looking at Jeff Green here too. You know, you can slide Jeff Green into the small or power forward position and then readjust your rotations accordingly to allow James Harden to take a few minutes here and obviously give Kevin Durant a breather, you know, sometimes sitting on that bench, you know, can kind of allow a player to refresh, you know, Re, uh, reshift their focus and go out there and attack the game plan, you know, but if you're out there for all 48 minutes of the game and then OT, you know, that's going to take its toll on your body and could very well um, take you out of your game plan, you know, um, for a stretch, you know, KD was 17 of 36 from shooting. That's not the most efficient performance from a standard. So um, is it, isn't it scary that like you say seventeen of thirty six and it's not efficient? That's just... yeah, right. Like that's just <laughs> how good Kevin Durant is. But um, yeah, to answer your question, if I was Steve Nash, I would have found a few minutes for James Harden, Kevin Durant to sit in this one and allow Jeff Green, you know, to to get going. You know, Jeff Green had zero points and zero field goal attempts. You know, he could have easily found a stretch of Kevin Durant off the floor to get hot. You know, we know what Jeff yeah. Green's capable of. I think Jeff Green's minutes, um, it was clear. Every time Giannis went off the floor, Blake went off the floor. Yep. And Jeff Green came in. And every time Giannis came in the game, Blake came back in the game. So I think it was clear pretty much the only time Jeff Green was getting in the game was if Giannis was out. But I think to your point, they shouldn't have – flipped Jeff Green with Blake Griffin. I think they could have played Blake and Jeff together and spelled Durant for a minute or two at the beginning of the second quarter. Um, so I agree with that. And James Harden definitely should not have been playing 48 minutes uh, on a grade two hamstring. Like I think he's definitely, you know, maybe the start of the fourth quarter and the end of the first quarter or something like that could have been on the bench and you could have played him like 42, 43 minutes. Because at the end of the day, you know, Durant could run the point you know, for those little stretches and you'd be okay. So, but the one guy I think that Nash really mismanaged, and this is the one I really want to talk about. And we have to talk about him is Joe Harris and the series he had. And 
the struggles he's had, and we can get into all of that. And we'll talk about, you know, Joe Harris's future with the Nets on a later episode. But as far as this series and even in game seven, you know, Joe Harris clearly didn't have it. You know, that's just simple as simply put. And he still played 47 minutes. And a guy like Landry Shamit didn't get any shot attempts in that game seven. So I think, sure, I, I get with sticking with Joe and playing a majority of the game. But at the end of the day, when Joe Harris is going that bad and he has 47 minutes and your other shooter off the bench and Landry Shamit has seven minutes, that seems a little disproportionate to me. And, and he should have given Shamit at least a few more of those Joe Harris minutes. And I think Nash made a big, that was Nash's biggest mistake in game seven. I absolutely agree. You know, if Joe Harris, you know, he clearly didn't have it. And if you sense that he doesn't have it, you let Landry Shamit get in there and get some shot attempts up because Landry Shamit has proven that he can get hot in a hurry in his own right, especially if you give him enough uh, floor spacing, you know, and Shamit can cut to the rim and get buckets with ease. You know, if you feed him in the right spot, he can finish for you. He can drive, you know, in certain instances throughout the game. So Landry Shamit does bring a lot more to the table than just being a spot up shooter. So I think um, Steve Nash should have absolutely uh, given Landry Shamit more run in this one than he got. That's a great point that you bring up. And you also brought up an excellent point, Blake and Giannis. I noticed a lot of the same thing. You know, Blake Griffin obviously was clear as day, the primary defender on Giannis. And obviously Giannis is going to be playing heavy minutes out there. So um, Blake Griffin's the only Nets defender that proved that he was capable of limiting Giannis in some sort of capacity. So, you know, Blake Griffin's obviously an important play out there, but it's not like you could have, you know, not have had Jeff Green out there to spell Kevin Durant because we all know Jeff Green's an excellent floor spacer. He can drive to the rim he can put up points in a hurry, in a stretch, in his own right. So, you know, especially again, at home. Exactly. You know, when the crowd's behind you, you know, Je Jeff Green does, deserves better than that. You know, we know what he's capable of. You know, he's proven that he'll deliver when his name is called. You know, that's why we love him. You know, that's why I call him Uncle Jeff, you know, or Dunkle Jeff, you know, all these variations of nicknames. You know, he's just, um, been a beloved member of the organization from the day he stepped foot, you know, and it's just a shame that he didn't get a chance to um, be more of a contributor in this one. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, we're talking about all the frustrations and um, the things that we wish could have happened in game, game seven, but considering everything, the injuries, um, the hardened trade coming mid season, the expectations that they had. How do you how do you categorize this season? Was it, in your opinion, taking a step back and looking at how everything played out, dating back from December twenty second, all the way here till now, two days removed from Game Seven on June twenty first? You know, was this season a failure in your eyes, or is there anything positive you can take away? Well. You know, anytime you have three top 15 players on your team, you know, anything short of a championship is going to be considered a failed season. But when you account for injuries, you know, tough breaks along the way, and you account for this team playing, you know, 
in a season where there was no training camp, you know, and James Harden was acquired, you know, a month into the season, you know, there just wasn't a real opportunity for this entire group to really get on the same page. So I kind of feel like they overachieved, you know, with the hand that they were dealt, they were still able to establish themselves as a premier uh, contender in this league, you know, the hands down favorite, you know, heading into the postseason and throughout the playoffs, you know, nobody had the Nets losing. It was really the injuries that set this team away. Now, in terms of lessons that need to be learned, you know, I think you just have to go back to a lot of Kyrie Irving's press conferences that embrace the journey, you know, and just, um, you know, they're, they're just all thankful to be playing with one another and to be a part of this, you know, and to be a part of a historic time and, uh, the organization's history, you know, just appreciate all that's going into this and know that, um, you know, these three players are still in the prime of their careers and they're still very much, you know, in the conversation for the MVP, you know, when health holds up in their favor. And these are guys that genuinely enjoy playing with one another. So there is a lot of optimism moving forward, you know, for this entire group, you know, um, they're, as far as I'm concerned, as uh, things hold equal right now, you know, with no moves, no nothing going on, the Nets are the hands-down favorite to win it all next year as far as I'm concerned. Now, if, let's say, Steph Curry or Damian Lillard magically ends up on the Blazers, uh, not Blazers, sorry, the Lakers, you know, uh, that might change things a little bit in terms of uh, a title favorite, uh, you know, perspective you know the Nets will still be heavily favored to win next season but it won't be as easy for them to come out on top but as all things are held equal this team still is hands down the favorite moving forward and it's just about them going into the offseason you know um, developing that chemistry off the court behind closed doors you know studying film identifying things that went right what went wrong you know especially when it came to certain defensive possessions and just having a carryover effect into next season the nets are right there you know they would have won a championship this year if injuries didn't come in their way so that's something they need to keep the bigger picture on and just carry it into next season so in my eyes this season was not a failure. You know, I gave it one year, you know, for this big three to uh, mesh together and develop chemistry and find the right pieces that complement each other very well. You know, I this is the season I gave it for them to get it all together. But next season, you know, all things are equal. It will be a failure if they don't come through and win a championship. Yeah, I think I look at the net situation. I don't think failure is the right word just because – the injuries, you know, you look at a situation in Philly, like that's a failure. You know, you yes. had Ben Simmons, you had Joel Embiid. I mean, sure, Embiid is playing with a torn meniscus, so, I, you know, you can't really get on his play too much, although he did have some really good games. But at the end of the day, it's clear in Philly, you know, they're going to blow things up after the Doc Rivers comments, after the Joel Embiid comments about Ben Simmons, you know. He's going to get moved this offseason, and they're going to blow, separate that up and blow those two up. So that is something where you can look at it and say, okay, that star matchup, star comparison, or star duo obviously didn't work, and it failed. Well, as the net situation is a lot different, Kyrie wasn't playing. James Harden had agreed to hamstring as was on one leg. Um, so 
it's clear that when those the big three were on the floor, they're capable of winning a championship, and they have yet to fail together as a unit, all three 100% healthy. So I think the right word for this season, I would put it as disappointing just because of all the, you know, the hype around the year, the hardened trade, you know, everything surrounding the team. And considering how well Kevin Durant played a year, the first year after that um, Achilles rupture, you know, the comeback is greater than the setback. And it was so fun to watch the postseason he had just on par, if not better than the postseason he had in 2019 with the Warriors before he got hurt um, going into those finals. It was just so fun to watch. And the game five performance he had, the shot he hit in game seven, you just thought, you know, he became, he was four, three inches away from propelling the Nets past the title favorite Bucks at this point, you know, to the next round and eliminating them. And it, the Bucks needed seven games plus overtime to beat Durant by himself. So you thought you had that belief that Kevin Durant is so good that he can just put the team on his back and do it himself. But he just came up a smidgen short. I can't really, I can't really say he came up short. You know, the team came up a smidgen short. So I think in that sense, Sure, there's going to be some disappointment involved. They didn't fail, but obviously, you know, you were you were pulling for them, and it is a little bit of disappointment, and it stings after that game seven loss. Absolutely, you hit it right on the head. It's not a failure; it's more of a disappointment, you know, because when you put together a super team like this, you know, there is going to be an element of disappointment when they can't come through and um, win a championship. You know, that's just how. It goes when the Heat with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, you know, back in 2011, lost to the Mavericks. You know, a lot of people dubbed that as a failure. But in reality, you know, they, you need to give a lot of these big threes a season to kind of gel together, you know, get the right pieces around them to um, move forward with the championship. You know, that's just the nature of the business sometimes. It doesn't always work out in your favor. You know, unfortunately for the Nets here, just you know, there's no other way to put it. Injuries got in the way, and um, that's just something that's going to forever kind of just, you know, just sting, you know, in the eyes of the organization and in the eyes of the fan base, just knowing that we had perfect wide-open opportunity this season to finally win a championship, something that's never been done before, in the NBA at least, in this organization's history. So, you know... Like I said before, it's just about taking all the lessons learned, you know, building off that continuity and chemistry that was developed, you know, given the circumstances coming into the season and throughout and um, just locking in into next season and knowing that, um, you know, we have, we have the best chance of securing the best record in the league, developing that uh, chemistry, you know, on the court, you know, as a team, but also as an entire organization, having your fans behind you from day one of the season, you know, physically at the Barclays Center and being, you know, just um, being there for all the action and, you know, creating storylines that way, you know, it's just something that I think, you know, all around the organization, the Nets can be looking forward to for next season and, and beyond. 
Yeah. And, you know, we talked about it. It's just, we wanted a little bit of time to kind of just digest this and take it all in before we even start thinking about um, the off season and Spencer Dinwiddie's future, Blake Griffin's future, Bruce Brown's future, Jeff Green, like all these guys and the shakeup on the team. Obviously there's going to be changes um, and there's going to be new players in. Some of these players are going to be gone, but you know, it just felt like this first episode back um, just kind of wanted to recap the season and talk about game seven and the Bucks series and, and, and just address that because it just felt, you know, it was crushing, you know, it's heartbreaking, even despite all the injuries, despite um, the, the, the performance that Durant had in game seven and game five, it still is, it still hurts just because you want all that to like matter more. And now that game five that Durant had obviously won't be held in that same, uh, like, standard that other incredible playoff performances have just because they didn't win. So um, it's a tough season. It's disappointing. But as you said, they'll be back next year and have a whole, you know, off season, the 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 eighty-two game season that's not condensed, and already have this season to learn from and move on from. But still disappointing and a heartbreaking finish to the next season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, all the expectations placed on us. It's it's a heartbreak, you know, and how it how it ended, injuries. You know, Kevin Durant laying it all out there on the line and just not seeing his work pay off. You know, it's just. A disappointing way to end the season but you know like we said before we can only look forward to next season at this point and um just kind of build off of it you know that's all we can do at this point and um just know that we have three top 15 players locked in for at least one more season and not any other team around the nba has that same luxury to to fall back on yeah, and that's that's kind of like, I guess, hinting at our next couple of episodes here, you know, talking about, you know, we'll get into as the offseason progresses extensions for the big three and we, we if we think they'll want to stay beyond just next season and obviously the role players um, and Spencer Dinwiddie as to their futures, but we'll get into that next episode. So you want to make sure not to miss that. But before we sign off, um, Please do subscribe and like on Apple and Spotify podcasts at the Scary Hours podcast um, on Instagram as well and on Twitter. And on Twitter, I'm at Matthew Drexler 3 and Samir. I'm at S underscore Kumar 2. And you can like us, follow us, retweet us. You know, we'll follow back or you want to come on the show, let us know. You come on and if you have any questions, We'll be happy to answer them as well. So uh, we appreciate the support and we'll, we'll be sure to keep it going into the off season. We look forward to talking about, you know, what's next for the Nets. Absolutely. You know, it should be, you know, not a quiet off season by any means. It'll still be a hurtful off season, but you know, there's a lot that we can talk about. You know, we can talk about um, what we loved from our, the big three, what we loved, you know, hearing in post game press conferences from each member of the big three and how um, everyone on the team just loves playing for one another. So there's still a lot of positives that we can talk about from the season. And we'd love to have you on and 
discuss it. You know, we're all one. We're all in this world. You know, um, we're all starved for our first ever NBA championship. So the best way we can um, anticipate all that is just all coming together and being one. Absolutely. And, you know, we want to hopefully reach this goal next year now and, you know, celebrate it together because the more the merrier. And, you know, we love we love our Nets and still, you know, the pain that we felt after that game seven. It's all worth it if, if you're able to, to win it at some point, you know, you can't there's no playing the game without getting hurt at some point. So it just is what it is. And we hope I hope it's different next year. Absolutely. But we want to thank you again for tuning into this episode. Um, Drex and I will have plenty of Nets content this offseason, you know, so, you know, stay tuned on our podcast, stay tuned on our social media pages, our personal accounts. You know, we really hope we can grow this thing over the offseason and and beyond. And, you know, we're thankful for your support.